Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Revelation 14, verse 6. Here's what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus." Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. We read in uh, Revelation chapter 12 a few weeks ago that there was a great war that took place in heaven. A great war that took place in heaven. Uh, that in that war, Satan was kicked out of heaven finally released from there. He had access to heaven and has it today. Matter of fact, you, you should know that today he accuses the brethren. He's going to be accusing us. He's going to be accusing the other brethren in this whole wide world. He stands before Almighty God and says, those people are not worthy of being saved. Those people are not worthy of good things. And he's not wrong at what he says. He does accuse, and there are things that we can be accused of. But you also have a defense attorney that stands before you, even the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who stands for you every day at saying he's already taken your punishment on himself and that God can set you free from what you've done. Everybody follow that? But he's been, at this, at this point when, in Revelation chapter 12, he was removed from heaven. He and the angels that followed him. Now, uh, that is removed from the divine counsel. He cannot have any sort of influence in the heavenly realm at all. Because they have been thrown out, the rest of the divine counsel is about to do the thing they've wanted to do for centuries. So let me just set this whole place back up again as a timeline for you so you kind of grasp what we're doing. We're going to do just the tribulation period today, just that seven-year period, just that period of time of Daniel where there was a seven year of the, the, the 70th year of Daniel. So we're going to start the tribulation right about in here. When this tribulation starts, what's happened here, there were 144,000 Jewish people that were sealed as evangelists under the living God. And they began to preach the gospel that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is their Messiah. 
And there, there are Jewish people that are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, uh, brother, this is where Psalm 37 and Psalm 36 get fulfilled. This is where people now are, are Israel's being turned to the living God. Well, at the same time, two witnesses have showed up here, and they're going to be in Jerusalem speaking the word of God and carrying out signs like Moses and Elijah did. There's also going to be at this time a great revival going on among the Jewish people. But in the same time there's a great revival going on, the adversary, the wicked one, the Antichrist is also, he's risen up out of the sea. He's now set himself up. He's going to begin conquering all over. He's going to carry out what the first seal said. He's going to conquer with propaganda. He's going to conquer with lies, with deceit, with death. And he's going to start martyring all the people who are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be a part of what he's doing at that time. So you have a great spiritual thing taking place, and you have a great uh, negative taking place going on at the same time. Well, that's the first three and a half years. The 144,000 are successful, and there, there are people coming to know Jesus Christ, but they're also being martyred. The Antichrist is being successful, and he's now moved his way into Jerusalem. And here he's taken over the whole area of Jerusalem, and he's going to come into that area, and someone's going to either assassinate him or in some way he loses out. That guy is no more than the old revived Roman Empire. That's all he is. That's, that's, the, what you're gonna, that's, that's what you would see if you were here on earth, all right? That revived Roman Empire. And he is all of the beasts that were found in Daniel wrapped up in one. He is going to declare himself to be God and take a seat in the uh, temple area or the worship area, whatever it is that Israel has at that time, and that's when he's going to be, uh, that's called the abomination of desolation. That's the middle of the tribulation. When he does that, that's when the war starts in heaven. When that war starts in heaven, Satan is defeated. Satan comes down now and inhabits this guy. So now we have Satan inhabiting this guy, and he's in a rage because he's been kicked out. He knows he's only got three and a half years left. That's all he's got. So he's got to be about the work he's going to do to try to convince people to follow him instead of following Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? There are only two kinds of people in the world, believers and unbelievers. That's it. That's God's identity groups. All right? So there, there may be all kinds of ethnic folk in either of those groups. All right? That's not your identity. May I say that your identity is not woman, your identity is not man, your identity is not pharmacist or whatever worker you might be, your identity is not your occupation, your identity is not your ethnic group, your identity is not your uh, uh, gender group, whatever you want to think of, that. that's not your identity. Your identity is either child of wrath or child of God. That's it. You don't have others. There are other roles that you're playing in those, but your identity, what you will be forever, is either child of God or child of wrath. Everybody follow where I'm at there? That's where you're going to be forever and ever. So this morning, sitting in here, you're either a child of God or a child of wrath. 
Don't, don't think about anything else. That's not your identity. It may be a role you're playing, but you're one of those two. And I hope before the end of this message, you know which one you are, and you decide, I need to change identities. If, if you don't know, if you're a child of wrath and you, you figured that out today, please listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and become a child of God today by trusting Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God, please separate yourself from being a child of wrath and don't behave like one anymore. Get out of that mess. Just like what he's going to say to us about Babylon, my people, come out of her. Get out of that mess and get back over to Lord Jesus Christ. If you're just playing with your Bible, if you're just holding your Bible as if it's some sort of religious relic, some sort of little magic charm you can just wave around, it's going to save you, you're wrong. Open that book and read it. Get absorbed in that book. Abide in that book. Let those words hold you, all right? Now, having said those things, now Satan is really enraged. He's ready to go on. The counsel, the divine counsel, is finally free of the input of the devil and all of his folk, and they're starting to make decrees they've wanted to make. And they're making what you're reading today are the decrees of the divine counsel that they're making because the adversary is gone. What they're telling you guys is the end is in sight. The end is going to happen rapidly from here at the middle of this tribulation for the next 42 months, three and a half years. It's going to be a rapid drop, and it's going to be tragic. Everybody tracking with me so far? That's what we're talking about so far here. All right. I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Here is Nebuchadnezzar. He's called Daniel in to see him again. He's had another dream. He's had another vision. And here's what he says in verse 13. There's obviously a lot more to it. You can read all of, the, the, of that that you, you would like to read. But here's what I want you to see. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from under it from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a, uh, a beast let him, uh, let, and let seven times pass over him. Go on further with me. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of heaven, gives it to whoever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. Wow. It's quite a passage, isn't it? Who's this watcher? Who's this holy one? Who are these that's come down? This is not saying God did this. It's saying some holy one, a watcher, came down. Kids, this is what I've told you for a while now about the divine counsel. The divine counsel. The divine counsel is that group of Elohim beings, uh, beings that, uh, well, matter of fact, let's just... Uh, 
Let's just pick up number one in our outline there. Uh, I'll, I'll wait about doing that until I come to point two. In your outline, number one under A, God has ordained that man, though in the image of God, is not independent of God and is accountable to God for his decisions and actions. God has ordained that man, though in the image of God, is not independent of God and is accountable to God for his decisions and actions. It seems like at times that people are independent of God, doesn't it? It seems they can do anything they want to do, and they do. And you, you're puzzled by yourself sometimes. You're, you're often puzzled by what other people do, but then sometimes you fool yourself. You say, what? How long have I known Jesus that I would do something like that? What is the matter with me? Why do I do that? Why doesn't God just come down and whack me good before I do stupid things? Why doesn't he just kind of slap me up the, upside the head so that I'll know you're about to make a dumb decision? Why doesn't he do that? Because God has allowed you to make that decision. Because it's in your decisions that you're going to be determining what direction you're taking. Are you going to follow him by faith? Or are you going to follow your own leadings, your own cravings, your own appetites? What are you going to do with that? He's allowed you to make those kind of decisions. But can I say this? Just because you've been allowed to make them doesn't mean you're not accountable for them. Have you ever made a sinful, bad decision and nothing happened? You, 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 got, you got the benefit of whatever it was. Now, you may have felt a little guilty. You may have thought, I don't know about that. Maybe you didn't. Maybe instead of a spanking, nothing really happened. And you kept wondering, why isn't something happening? Maybe you said something like this, God doesn't really care. I've heard these things are bad, but maybe they're not as bad as I thought they were. So that you feel a little tempted to do that again a second time, third time, fourth time. Do you realize what each of those decisions does? Each time you make that decision, it binds you tighter and tighter all the time in making that decision. And when you get bound tighter and tighter in that decision, your receptor to hearing the word of God gets less and less. Or as he put it in Psalm 105, he gave them leanness in their soul. Because of their complaint, because of their argument against him, because of their rebellion against him, he put leanness in their soul. So it got harder and harder for them to hear the word of God because their hearts were hard now and they couldn't hear what God was saying. And not being able to hear what God was saying, they continued on those decisions thinking God doesn't, it's not that big a deal because I'm getting by with it. That is a dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. That's a dangerous place to be. You're still accountable for your decisions. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He could do what he wanted to do. And because of some of the things he was going to do, he got proud of what he had done. And what, what this prophecy is going to be about is that he's going to lose the great beauty and the power of his kingdom because he decided to look at it one day and say, look at this great Babylon which I have built. That's another dangerous place for you to be. When you come to that place when you say, you know, I'm doing pretty good with my Christian life, that's the time to repent. That's the time to get humble real quick and say, oh, Father, forgive me for that. 
for I don't have anything except what you have given me. I don't have anything except what the grace of God is performing in me. So please forgive me for that attitude. I see where that's coming from, and I don't want it. All right? So men are accountable for their, their lives. Now, let's go to the next thing. When God created the heavens, he created the heavens to be populated the same way he created the earth to be populated. When, when it says that God created the heavens, I'm going to remind you, that's not the planet's. That's not, that's not that what's out there. Why do I know that? Because that doesn't happen until verse or day four. Day four is when it becomes populated with planets and stuff. When God creates the heavens, it's with the beings that are joining him in heaven. What got created on that day, on that very first time when God created the heavens? The seraphim were created. The cherubim were created. The whole angelic group was created. All of that which we call angel, which the scriptures call Elohim, that's, that's spirits without permanent bodies, all of that was done when God creates the heavens. And with that group that's been created there, God ordained that there'd be some who would rule with him. That's what we know as the divine council. That's the sons of God. The sons of God rule with him. And, and before you get saying, no, God doesn't need people, to, uh, God doesn't need angels to rule with him. He could do it all by himself. What is your purpose on this planet? You're here to rule with him. Is that not what he said from the very beginning, Genesis 1, 26 and 27? That's what you're here for, is to have dominion over his creation as a steward of that creation. The divine council was created to have stewardship over the things that God created. That's what they're supposed to do. And they are the watchers and the holy ones. They are the eyes of God that run to and fro in all the earth looking for those that are loyal to God. It's, they are the ones who watch. And as they watch, they come back and report to God. And as a council, they can make decisions. And that's what's happened here. Let's make sure you're getting all your blanks there. Number two, God has ordained that the council of Elohim, that's spirits without permanent bodies or shape, observes humans and rules justly over them as God's mediators. Their decisions are affirmed or vetoed by God. Now, I've talked about that in other messages, so I'm not going to go back over that again. I, I hope that doesn't bother you in any way. I, I just simply want to see they, they do not have final authority. God affirms or vetoes their authorities, their, their affirmations, all right, whatever they're saying. So here was a decree that they are making. God is merciful and long-suffering, willing to give man opportunity to align his thinking with God's revealed will before he makes final judgments on his decisions. Um, let's, let's look a little further in this Daniel chapter 4 because I want you to, so, to see some things about that. <clears throat> Daniel tells him in verse 20 of Daniel, Daniel 4, The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches into the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. So 
God rules in the kingdom of, of men, and he gives it to whomever he will. And when he gave it to Nebuchadnezzar, he blessed the kingdom of Babylon and made it so that it was having dominion over huge swath of territory. And he's blessed this man. But this man's about to do something that's going to remove that blessing from him. Let's go on further. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, and once again, I want to remind you, that was a member of the divine council who is carrying the message of the divine council to Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody follow me? That's the message they're bringing. Here we go. He says, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is the decree of who? The Most High. Now, remember, it had just been said earlier, it's the decree of the Holy Ones. It's the decree of the Watchers. That was their decree that has now been affirmed by the living God. So God now is taking responsibility for this decree. Everybody with me? All right, here we go. This is the decree, verse 24 says, this is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. What does he want him to know? What's this whole lesson for Nebuchadnezzar to be? that the kingdom of God is what rules in men. The most high is the one who rules, not people. He's giving you a stewardship, Nebuchadnezzar, and something you're going to do is going to blow that stewardship for you. It's going to take away the blessing that was there for you, all right? Verse 26, and inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, you get to keep it, after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he's giving him a chance. Everybody see that? Nebuchadnezzar has done something wrong. He's going to do something really wrong here, and he's giving him a chance right now. He's saying, realign your thinking with me, put off your sins, Put them away from you. This is a put off, put on, is it not? So put off the things which you have done. Break off your sins by being righteous. Put on in its place righteous behavior and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. So you're twisted in the way you're thinking things, Nebuchadnezzar. Now show mercy to the poor. Take, become compassionate. Be righteous about what you're doing. And the kingdom will be restored to you if you do it. But it goes on to say, and all this came, uh, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty and power, by my, by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. That was the decree of the, the council. That's the decree of the Most High, and that's precisely what happened to this man. All right? 
Now, I said all that to say, what, what difference does that make? This, we're studying Revelation. It's because what's in Revelation is the same decree that came from the Holy Ones for Nebuchadnezzar. So let's go back to Revelation 14 just for a moment. Revelation 14. Because they are making a decree here. They have uh, watched everything that's going on in the earth. They are the watchers. They're the holy ones. They've watched what's going on on earth. They've seen that the Lord Jesus Christ has opened up the seals and the scroll. And now they're about to carry out everything that had been decreed all the way back in Daniel. They're opening Daniel's scroll that had been sealed. And this is what's coming out of it. All right. So here was the decree. Letter B in your outline. When the council members have witnessed the hardness of mankind and its lack of repentance, they make final decrees or announcements regarding the judgment of the council. So what you're about to read here is what the council had decided, and it will be affirmed by God. God will not veto this. This is what's going to take place. Let me just say this. John is writing Revelation about here in our timeline. You know, let's let's go now whole platform, big timeline. So we've had creation, we've had all of the uh, Abraham and all Moses and all the prophets and all that. We had Jesus Christ right here. Well, after Jesus Christ has been crucified and raised again, now here's John in the Isle of Patmos, and he's receiving this revelation that's coming to him. He's receiving what Jesus Christ has been authorized to give to him. So he's seeing it. But can I say, he's seeing it as done already. He's seeing it as a past event. And if I can say to you, it's not going to happen till out here, kids. And you and I are standing right about here. So he's telling us as if it's past tense what is going to happen in the future. That's how certain it is this is exactly what's going to happen. You follow that? That's what makes God, God. When he prophesies, it's exactly the way he said it was going to take place. That's why you can trust the word of God. Follow that? That's why you want the word of God abiding in you, not, not something else. You, you don't need the word of Biden abiding in you. You don't need the word of Trump abiding in you. You don't need the word of any economist or any commentator. What you need is the word of God abiding in you because that one you can know is true. John sees it as already taken place, and it's not until out here in the future. It's after the, the whole middle of the tribulation. He's talking to you about what happens in the last half of the tribulation that doesn't happen until out here. Wow. You know, when we get to have eternal life, it's going to be fun living in eternity, isn't it? Because now you're going to get to step out of time and look back and say, whew. What a mess. <laughs> I'm glad there was an eternal God that knew how to handle eternity because that's an amazing thing, all that that took place. All right, let's go on further. The first announcement made by a heavenly messenger. Well, look at this, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Uh, now, some get all upset about there being another angel. This is another of the same kind of angel that's been spoken of here since Revelation 12. So they've been ha- having a lot to do. Um, you, need to, you need to get this picture. Angels are going to be involved in the last days. They are going to be involved. We may not think much of them. We may not think there's any such thing as an angel. Some, some will be bold enough to say that. The rest of the world may not think there's any such thing as a spirit like that. There is, kids, and they're going to be heavily involved in the last days. All right? But if we go on, 
He's flying in the midst of heaven. So he's, he's there in, in the heavenly places. He says he has the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. He is the carrier of the everlasting gospel. He's got it. He's going to be preaching this gospel, all right? And he's got to preach it to uh, all who dwell on the earth. Notice, just so you wouldn't get it mistaken, it's to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. He wants to make sure you get the picture of what he means by all the earth, all right? So he's got it all down for you. He says with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. All right? So let's back up and give our thoughts here. He gave him three things. He gave people three things to do that are a part of this everlasting gospel. Number one, fear God. Number two, give glory to him. Number three, worship him. Kids, that is the steps of following the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first place, you come to fear God because the fear of God is the what? Beginning of wisdom. That's the, it's the wisdom of, uh, that you're going to gain. It's the beginning of wisdom. So you fear God. What does it mean to fear God? That means that you recognize he is there and he's holding you accountable for everything you say, do, or think. He is God, and he's the only one that created you. He is God, and everyone is accountable to him. He is God, and he made everything, all right? So it's all accountable. So the fear of God is to recognize you aren't who you think you are. You're not as in charge of as much as you think you are. You are just a human. It would be great if our politicians could finally get a hold of that, to fear God. But honestly, kids, they're in all practical things, they're nullified. All they're going to do is co- co- create conditions for us to live in. You understand what I'm saying? They're not going to affect your faith. They're going to take anything away from you. They can't take eternal life from you. No man can snatch you out of the hand of the Father. They're not going to be able to take anything from you. They can make you feel a little miserable. They might even could kill you. But I'll say this. We were told in the Scriptures, don't fear him who can take your life, but fear him who can take your life and cast you headlong into hell. So the first thing these people have should have, this gospel is all about, fear God. Acknowledge that God is the one that's, that's in charge of everything. Not you, not some nation, not some king, not some parliament someplace. It is God that's in charge of us. Secondly, give glory to him. By giving glory to him, you're admitting that you are not the one that's got the world going for you. You're admitting that you and everything you have is a gift from God, that it's not your possession, that you, in fact, are just one of the creatures, that the universe, I know this is going to seem harsh, I don't mean it, but the universe does not revolve around you. I know that's going to hurt some of you today. I'm sorry for it. Uh, maybe it's, it's your children that's going to hurt more than anything else. But just know this, the world does not revolve around you. Neither does the universe. You're just one little one in the whole thing. And to give glory to him is to back off of all the things you believe you're doing that are so great. To back off what you believe needs to be coming to you. To get away from your entitlement and recognize God is the one that's in charge. Give glory to him. If you're going to give glory to God, then you're going to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is God's glory. 
That is what God is. And you're going to give glory to God. You're going to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to back away from believing in yourself. You're going to back away from believing that you're the source of truth. You're going to back away from believing that you're the proof of truth. You're going to understand that God's the truth. Give glory to Him. You're going to understand that you really are in charge of the weather. If God wants to bring 12 inches of rain in a few hours, then God can bring 12 inches of rain. Whose earth is it? It's his. Can he water his earth if he wants to? Yeah. Can he wash soil away if he wants to? Yep. It's his. Give glory to God. If you had water problems from it, that's natural. That's what happens when water floods things, right? Probably a good idea not to build on a floodplain. But, but anyway, and I'm not meaning that to be... Uh, discompassionate with him, but I just mean simply we can do a lot of things that we blame him for that maybe are not as much his problem as ours. All right, let me go further. You're supposed to give glory to him and then worship him. Count him as worthy. He really is worthy of it. Quit suspecting him. Quit, quit saying, I wonder when he's going to do something bad. Quit suspecting him and say, you know, he can't do bad. My Father does only good. Hallelujah. I'm going to worship Him. I love singing songs like we sang this morning as a part of that worship. But I also like hearing the Word of God as a part of my worship. I also like thinking thoughts of Jesus Christ as a part of my worship. That's, that's counting Him worthy. Do you realize that when you're obeying what He says or believing what He says, you're worshiping Him? When you believe Him over what the world tells you, you're worshiping Him. You're saying you are worth more than anyone else. That's what worship is. Worship's just simply saying you are worthy. Why should I do that? Well, he tells us this. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, what, how significant is that? Where did the first beast come from? Out of the sea. Who owns the sea? God owns the sea. God made the sea. Can that dude come out without God's permission? Nope. And I'm going to tell you, God brought him out of that sea. He said, now's the time. Out. And he comes out. Where did the prophet come from? He came from the land. Who owns the land? That guy's not going to arise without God's permission to do so. You follow where I'm at? Without God saying, I've ordained this to take place, it's happening now. Now, the adversary, Satan, somehow believes that he's really responsible for all that. He's really going to get all that done. He can't do anything without our Father. He can't do anything without our Father. It's a losing proposition, friends. Don't stay on a losing team. Get back on the winning team. Jesus Christ is the winning team. He's the one that made the sea. He's the one that made the springs. He's the one that made the land. He's the one that made the heavens. He made it all. That's what makes it his. Now, why is that significant? Because majority of people has been swallowing the lie of the adversary for years that all things came about as a result of chance that it just happened upon here, that it just all evolved into something or another. Guys, don't believe that. That's not science. That's faith. I could say even further, it's paganism. That's just old Hindu paganism brought back to a fresh new light called science. It's not. Don't let that, don't let that blind you. 
Instead, acknowledge God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of the sea, springs of water. And then the next reason that you should be fearing God, giving glory to him and worshiping is because, as he says here, the time of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. So his judgment is a just decision and fitting action. And that's come. Now, let's take a look at this. Whole platform timeline again. When did this mess start? It started back here just within a few days of creation, right? And it continued on all this time. How long-suffering is God? He sends his son in the middle of all this mess, and his son dies to pay for that, to give people everlasting life. His son's done that. And instead of receiving his son, it's to reject his son. How long-suffering is God as he moves along this timeline right here? How long-suffering? Look, when you think about the long-suffering, don't just think about your life, because he has been long-suffering with you, right? I'm, uh, was it uh, Cy Robertson says, I'm, I'm living in my bonus years now. I'm, I'm past 70. 70 is what we were given, and if by strength, 80, well, then I'm over 70 now, so I'm living in my bonus years, right? It's not just my little 73 years in which God's been long-suffering. It's 6,000 years that God's been long-suffering. And what God is announcing here is the time of his judgment has come. Boy, that ought to produce a great deal of humility, wouldn't you think? Wow, he's been putting up with us all this time? Wow, hallelujah, what a God. But he's wanting to know this is it. Second announcement. Let's do the second announcement. The second announcement made by a heavenly messenger he says in verse 8, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of fornication. This is the stuttering angel. He says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That was a, that was a joke. Um, why does he say it twice? This is a Hebraism. A Hebraism, a way that God says something is going to be intensified, he says it twice. Matter of fact, back here when Adam and Eve are told that if the day you eat of it, you shall die, he said, you shall die dying. You shall in your dying die. He said it twice because it's going to be a final way. Something's going to happen to you that's so final it will set the pace for your entire life. It will separate you from God forever in that falling, all right? So when he says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, he's saying that certain final imminent destruction and the fall of Babylon, that's a Hebraism, all right? So it's the final imminent destruction of Babylon. So there won't be another Babylon. This Babylon you're reading about in Revelation 14 is the last Babylon there be. There will never be another Babylon. There won't even be the spirit of Babylon. Let me go on further with you because I, I want to uh, spend a little time here. Judge for her role in deceiving the nations with uncontrollable passion to break the covenant faithfulness as God's messengers. Listen to what he says. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Why? 
because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's why it's happening. She made all nations. How many nations? All nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Did, did uh, Rome drink of the wrath of for, the wine of her fornication? Yes. France? Arabia? Persia? Yeah. United States? Yes. All nations. Now, listen, notice what it says. She's judged for her role in deceiving the nations with uncontrollable passion to break the covenant faithfulness as God's messenger. We'll, we'll spend a lot more time about this when we come to 17, but let's just get this right now. There are two women mentioned in the scriptures. Proverbs mentions both of them. Solomon wants to give wisdom to his son. He wants his son to understand something. So he says to his son, son, with all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Get wisdom and she will protect you. Get wisdom and she will guide you. Matter of fact, he writes one whole chapter, chapter 8 and parts of chapter 9 that are all about wisdom, the faithful woman. That's what he calls wisdom. She's the faithful woman. She's the woman of your covenant. She's the woman of your youth. She's the woman that you were, were covenant with. She's that woman. She's the wise woman. She's the, um, she is wisdom. That's your covenant wife. Everybody follow that? That's covenant loyalty. Now, get all your gender stuff out of your mind for just a moment. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who has covenant faithfulness to his Father. Follow that? He has covenant faithfulness to you. He has had covenant faithfulness, and that's one of the things he... Jesus is the faithful witness. He's the true witness. And what you read in um, Proverbs 8 is a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he was like. So Jesus Christ is the picture of that wisdom. Fear of God is what produces that wisdom, all right? And wisdom is one of the women found in the Scripture. The second woman is the woman called the strange woman, the foreigner, the immoral woman. She's also found in Proverbs. And she's not loyal to the covenant she made with her husband. She's disloyal to it. And she's always looking for someone with whom to commit adultery. In Proverbs chapter 5, she's finding a youth who doesn't have good sense. And she finds him along the way and she says, look at me, I'm dressed up just for you. Come over to my house and let's have a good time. My husband's gone right now. He won't be back for a while. He took a full bag of money. He'll be gone for a long time. Come on in and let's enjoy the pleasures of love. He said, those who go to her go to death. Don't just know this. When you come to her doorway, it's the doorway to death. Don't go there. That's what he tried to tell his son. Two women. One that's covenant faithfulness, and the other that's the strange woman who is anything but faithful. Babylon is called the mother of all whores. Mothers of all harlots. She is the first among the strange women. She's the, one the, she's the one that all the strange women come from. So you have two women in the Scriptures that, that are important. That is, faithful to the covenant, and that which is faithful, unfaithful to the covenant and disloyal. Friends, you were created in whose image? In God's image. In whose image should you be expressing 
God's image. When you were born again, do you realize you were given back the image of God that had been destroyed in you? That Jesus is the express image of God. He's the very image of God. And when he comes in your life, when he's living in your life, you have the restored image of God. He's calling on us to be faithful to that restored image of God. Babylon is the mother of all those who are unfaithful to that. So when Babylon is seducing the nations, she's calling the nations to be unfaithful to what they are as images of God and be images of themselves, to be images that do what they want to have done. She has told them the lie, and they have believed it. Everybody see where we're at? So Babylon is a spirit, if I can say it that way, that's created. We'll say the same kind of things we talk about. There was um, a spirit of confusion in the place. We don't mean that there was somebody that was an actual spirit that was doing something, though that's possible too. What we're meaning by that is there was so much confusion going around that the crowd itself created a spirit of confusion. That's what Babylon is. Babylon gets to be personified, ultimately. Let's see if I go ahead and... Did I leave you any blanks there that you need to fill in? No, no, it doesn't look like it. Um, so what we're looking at when we look at Babylon is a spirit that has been created by the greed and the lust and the desire of people. And once they got started with that, it was like a great snowball. It just kept growing and growing, and more people got attached to it as they were going along. It, became, it started out as just one guy in his greed. It starts out with one guy and gathering two or three guys around him and then gathering a group of people around him. Now, like a big snowball, they have created this spirit thing called Babylon. It's a spirit of the world. It is this whole lusty thing that goes on in the world itself. Everybody follow that? Now, ultimately, when you gather enough people together, they'll make a civilization of that. They'll put a place there that's like that. And that's ultimately going to be the city, Babylon, that's talked about in uh, uh, Revelation 17. So what you have, first of all, is this spiritual creation, this Babylon thing, all right? And she's opposed to the legitimate woman, the woman who's faithful to the covenant. Is that making sense to everybody? All right. Let me go on. A third announcement's made. Now, just I want to make sure you get this. Uh, Revelation 17 talks about the destruction of Babylon. We'll come back to that when we get there, all right? So I'm not going to go any further explanation to that one right there. That's why we're doing that. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He should be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. All right. So let's get this one. The third announcement is made that it's delivered to any who will receive the mark of the beast and worships him. He's wanting to know, if you take that mark... If you worship that beast, you'll have the same fate, the same judgment as the one you are marked like. 
You can't avoid it. There will not be any mercy. There is no long suffering. You have made a final decision. You have determined this is what you're going to follow. Because you followed it, you have the same destruction coming to you that's coming to Babylon, that's coming to the beast, that's coming to the prophet. That same destruction is coming to all of you. All right. So don't take the mark of the beast. So this, once again, is God showing mercy. He's telling people, don't do this. That's the decree of the divine council. So the divine council is saying three things are going to take place. There's an everlasting gospel, fear God and give him glory, worship him. There's that that says Babylon has fallen and has fallen. There's a destruction coming to Babylon. And there is that which says if you follow the beast, you'll be in the same destruction. Those are all things that can be pretty depressing unless you're a person who knows and understands. I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so grateful today that my faith is resting in Jesus Christ and him alone, not what I can do, but what he has done. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the word of God. Thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for faith. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit making that faith real to us. Father, please don't let anybody leave this room without knowing for certain that if they died tonight in the presence of God, they'd have a reason to be in the presence of God and not separated from him forever. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you in this day. There's much coming in this week. We've got a big full week ahead of us. You've got the, the Holy Spirit with you and guiding you. You've got all the help that you need. You are fully equipped. Don't let your, your joy be taken from you by the fear of the world, all the junk that goes on in the world. Just trust Christ this week and follow him fully and completely. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your kindness, for the things you've shared with us, for the, giving us a written record of what's going to take place. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Guide us, I pray. Give us wisdom, understanding. Help us to fear God. Give Him glory and worship Him. Help us to be a people who know the truth, speak the truth, and love people into the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and thank you. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.